Well, we're in the book of Colossians. We'll be there for a little while. And, and I'm excited for this book, as I said last week, because although it was written hundreds of years ago, it, it has application for today. We live in a world where, where people are drawing from different streams and trying to kind of put them together into their own belief system. You know, I, I like a little bit of Christianity, but I like this whole, you know, uh, mindfulness, Eastern meditation thing. I'm going to pull that in as well. And, and uh, you know, this thing over here where, uh, you know, I, I can do what I want to do. I like that. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the only God. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying this hypothetically. Um, and we, and we kind of draw all of these things in to create our, create our own kind of pseudo-religion. And, and we live and we breathe in those waters. And so the Colossians who are experiencing some similar challenges, who are facing some people who are trying to draw in some other beliefs, and maybe they're trying to bring in some other beliefs, this is directly applicable to us. And so what, what Paul's going to continue to do is to really take this gospel, uh, which is sweeter than an onion, but it also has layers like an onion. So I'm going to say, and like an onion, he's going to peel away layers, and he's going to begin to show us what, what it looks like as you go deeper. Because the gospel is not just a, a starting point, this good news about Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins in our place. God became man and did these things for us. It's not just a story that we believe at one point and then we go and live our life. But really it's, it's more like, it's more like we're, we're in a spiral and we're going closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And, and the more that we live, the closer we ought to be orbiting to who he is and what he's done. And so we're going to read again out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Last week we looked at verses 3 through 5. This week we're going to look at the verses 6 through 8. Um, so if you're here in the room, if you can stand with me, we're going to read the Word of God together. If you're online, I'd still love for you to engage your faith and read, read as well. Um, do we have the slides to start at verse 3? Colossians chapter 1, verses 3. Through eight. We're going to cover verses 6 through 8. That's why we're doing this. I'm, I threw them in audible. But they're always prepared. <laughs> All right. Uh, Colossians 1, chapter, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your gospel, your good news about what Jesus has done in order to bring us into relationship with you, uh, in order to, to be called righteous. Um, God, I pray that, that we would be able to say with Paul, thank you, God, for the work of the gospel. Thank you, God, for the growth and increase in our lives that we see as a result of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can sit down. All right. So I backed up to... To verse 3, because this is really one long sentence. 
right? You, you maybe learned in English, you had sentences, and then you have, you know, main clauses, and then uh, dependent clauses. This has got a bunch of dependent clauses, you know. We thank God because, for, therefore, because, in which, I don't think in which is in there, but he says, we thank God for you. We talked about that last week, this idea that, that Paul is thanking God for what's happening among the Colossians. But, but it's not that God, he, he's thanking God because uh, God has provided manna from heaven so that the Colossians may eat. It's more of a, this interesting connection, this, this dance of obedience that they're doing. He's thanking God because of the way that they're living. And he's thanking God because of the way that they're loving. And he's thanking God because of the way that they are hoping. And the point that I wanted to make was that God was at work and, and that was why Paul was thanking God. And, and in your life, when you're finding that things are difficult, you're finding that your circumstances are challenging, maybe there are things going on in your family or at work or, or in, in the environment in which you find yourself, and you're, you're struggling, if you find that you have hope in God, that's a sign that God is at work. And if you find that, that there's, an, there's an inkling of love that, that rises up in you, even in the midst of difficulty, that is a sign that God is at work. And if you still have faith to believe that God is doing things, even though you're experiencing pain and suffering and hurt, maybe rejection or, or brokenheartedness, you can still say, God, I know that you're at work. And you can thank God. You can thank God. Here he goes, he goes on and he says, we thank God because of the, the, the faith in Christ Jesus that you guys have and the resulting love that you have for the, all the saints, all of which is because of the hope that you have. And he said, you heard about this hope in, in what? The gospel. He calls it the word of truth. In other words, the gospel. And then in verse 6, he says, this gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Now, if you were just reading this, you might just go, yeah, that sounds good. The gospel's bearing fruit and growing. But what does that actually mean, that the gospel's bearing fruit and growing? Right? I, I, it's a bit like saying when my kids are growing up that the apples that they eat are bearing fruit and growing. I mean, that's a bad example because apples do they are fruit, they do grow, but, but it's like the food that they eat is bearing, it's not that the food that they're eating is bearing fruit and growing, it's that they, because of the food that they eat, are, are growing, they're maturing. So what does he mean when he says uh, the, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing both in the world and in you? He says bearing fruit twice. If you go to verse 10, you see that he begins to flesh out what that means. So uh, he, he prays and he says, you know, I, I, we've, we've prayed and we ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. What do you mean, Paul? In every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there he uses that phrase very similarly and, and he connects this idea of bearing fruit to good works. When we, when we connect to the gospel, it ought to result in in good works. Now the church got it wrong at one point and they said, well, uh, it must be that the good works are how we are saved. No, but he says that the good works are an indication of life. 
The good works are an indication that God is doing something in your life. The good works are an indication that, that the gospel has, the seed has, has been sown in your soul and the roots are going down and, and something is being produced, right? There's no salvation, there's no ascent, there's no baptism and ascent to the gospel of Jesus Christ without a resulting set of good works. And so Paul's looking out at them and he's saying, you know what, I see, I see that you guys are growing and good works. Now sometimes we think, okay, good works, that must be like going down to DC and, and being in the soup kitchen. And, and yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, it's walking little old ladies across the street. Maybe it's, it's these overt actions that are good works. But I think that Paul has in mind much, much wider, a wider idea of good works. Because he talks in other places just of how God has prepared beforehand that we should all walk in good works that we should all be active in doing things that express the love of God and the, the lordship of God in, in the areas where we live. If you're a mom, that means being kind to your child, being loving to them, providing loving discipline, making breakfast in the morning, getting them to school. Right? These are good works. You know, moms, don't, don't diminish what you're doing. It's a good work. Dads, it means being faithful to, to love and direct and, and train your kids. These are good works. For some of you, it means holding your tongue at work when your employee or your, your coworker says something ridiculous. It means praying for them instead of cursing them out. That's a good, that's a good work. It's, it's something that comes out of us as a result of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's thankful that, that the gospel is bearing fruit the fruit of good works. He also says that it's increasing. What does it mean that the gospel's increasing? The gospel isn't, we're not adding to the gospel, right? That, that would be where you fall into the realm of heresy. <laughs> we, don't like, we don't like that. You know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, also this other thing, right? That's, that's not what he's saying. What does he mean when he says that the, the gospel is increasing? Well, if you guys will go with me, you don't have to go there, but, but in Acts chapter six, the writer of Acts, Luke, uses similar language when he talks about the Word of God. Um, there, was a, there was an issue in the early church where there were, there were Jewish and there were Greek widows, and, and one group felt like they were being overlooked. And so the, the Christian leaders were trying to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that everyone's getting what they need, that we're caring for the widows as we ought to. And so they appoint these uh, deacons. And, and they, they appoint the deacons and they pray for the deacons and they lay their hands on them. And it says in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And it goes and it says, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So, so Luke says that the word of God increased, but clearly he wasn't saying that, that God's word was being added to. He was saying that the results of the word of God was, was increasing. And he clarifies it and he says, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so here in, in Colossians, Paul is saying, I'm so thankful to God that, that good works are being evidenced as proof that, that the gospel's there, that you've embraced the gospel. And that, that it's increasing, that, that people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Bearing fruit and growing means that God is moving both personally and corporately. 
I'm excited to be the pastor of this church because I, I see that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. You know, we've gone through a challenging season where, where many people have struggled. They've struggled personally. The language of mental health is on the rise because so many people have struggled with the pain and, and difficulty of loneliness, of isolation, of sickness, of death. We've had to see people that we love die or get sick. We've had to adjust the way we do life. We've had, we've had to, to kind of walk in this confined sort of way and we've struggled and yet in the midst of that I've seen good works in your lives. I've seen many of you give. I've seen many of you, you, you sacrifice time, energy, money. I've seen many of you labor in love, offer your heart to one another knowing that someone might reject it. I've seen this and it's proof that God is at work family. God is at work. I want you to be thankful to God that he is at work. You may have come to church today and thought to yourself, oh, I'm tired, I had a long week, stressed out. You know, my kids gave me a hard time because of the, I told them to wear something and it was too whatever, too tight, too loose, too scratchy, not scratchy enough, too soft, not soft enough, too brown, too not brown enough, you know, and you may have come to church and you're thinking to yourself, this is just take a deep breath and say with me, God is at work. God is at work. The fact that you're here at church is a good work. Can I say that, family? The fact that you are here at church is a good work. I know it's a good work because I'm here at church. My kids are amazing. My wife is amazing. And yet it, we, it's still a challenge for us to, to get here because the enemy doesn't want us to be here. I know it's hard for you to get here. We got some family from out of town. You're here. God is at work. I'm thankful for that. You know, I think sometimes when we, when we see our lives and we see our struggles, we, we can very legitimately, understandably get overwhelmed by what we see. And one of the things that Paul does so often is he invites us to look at the world differently. He's going to be talking about how they're they're losing their minds. They're starting to try and worship angels. They're trying to to get to God by by not marrying, by by setting up new laws and new rules. It'd be a bit like me saying, okay, I understand we have the Bible, guys, but also there's this angel, and I think that if we worship this angel, it'll get us closer to God, right? Some of you are like, I don't know about that. Time to find a different church, right? Rightly so. so. So this church has some challenges. And yet he begins his letter saying, we thank God whenever we think of you. Because there's, there's an inkling of faith. There's an inkling of, of hope. There's an inkling of love. We thank God. The gospel is bearing fruit both in the world and with you. He says that the gospel in verse 6 is, is bearing fruit in the world. And he talks about the whole world, and for Paul, the whole world was probably the Roman Empire. But he, but he is understanding that, that the gospel is working. It's working. And again, sometimes we can be, and I understand what it feels to be overwhelmed, where your, your view of life goes from this to this to this to this, to, right? It, when you stub your toe, you ever do that? And you just have this moment of panic, and, and you're like, okay, I stubbed my toe. Did I, did I split my toenail? How bad is it? And you just, 
I did that today. And I, and I looked down, and I was like, please don't leave me with blood. No blood, no blood, no blood! Right? No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. But in that moment, all of a sudden, my view of everything just grows, goes from this to, oh dear. Because that's what pain does. That's what suffering does, is it, it, it narrows your focus. But here, Paul is saying, I know that there are challenges, and we're going to address those challenges in your life. I know that there's, there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's sin that is drawing you guys to focus on some specific things. But I want you to know that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the world. Family, I want you to know that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the world. You know, all the things that are going on in Ukraine and the suffering and pain there. You know that we have churches in Ukraine and in Poland that have been strategically placed there by God for this moment. And they are prepared and ready and they have the gospel and the gospel is growing and increasing. We can be, we can thank God for that. We can look at that and say, that same God who is doing amazing things there can also do amazing things in my life. That same God who is bringing breakthrough where where bullets aren't landing and bombs aren't, aren't blowing up, that God can bring breakthrough in my life as well. That God whose, whose gospel and his power are at work over there, he can be at work in my life. We thank God that the gospel is increasing and growing and bearing fruit in the world. And he says, as it does among you as well, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. The gospel had taken root in them. They, they were now considered God's workmanship. You know, I said, said this before, that the gospel is not a starting point. And I say that because that's my personal experience. When I got saved around the age of seven, I kind of understood the gospel is, okay, you know, it was this big Baptist church, and I think they're saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And that's not bad. I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. That's just, that's the world I lived in. It was Alabama. It was a big Southern Baptist church. And I remember just going down the aisle at just age of seven, and you know, I've decided to follow Jesus, and, and it was this moment. And I'm thankful for the moment. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that God, by his grace, opened my eyes to see how awesome he is and my need for him and for me to respond in faith. I'm thankful for that. But that moment didn't, didn't terminate there. My need for the gospel didn't stop there. It wasn't as though it was like, okay, I, I'm going to give you your Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to make you right, you know, um, Jesus the righteous, by him I'm justified. I love that song. Right? I didn't just get justified and he says, okay, here's your Christian card. Good luck. You know, hope you don't mess up. No, but that gospel followed me into my life, whether I realized it or not. And the faith that I continued to express, the, the good works that continued to be produced in me were not just Eddie's good works. They were things that God was doing in and through me. And in the moments where I failed and sinned and fell short, the gospel was there to pick me up and say, you know what, Jesus still died for those sins as well. He still made provision for this moment as well. It wasn't just from ages to zero to seven that God made provision, but, but he knew that this moment would happen at 13 and this moment would happen at 17 and this moment would happen at 23. And he said, I've made provision for those moments as well in the gospel. The gospel had taken root. In Ephesians chapter 2, I feel like I quote this every Sunday, but it's, I mean, you should memorize it. 
He, he talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins in chapter 2, verse 1 and following. But God makes him, us alive together with Christ. And, and so Paul gives this amazing expression of who we were before Christ, what God does through grace, and, and he ends it off in, in verse 10, and he says this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Imagine with me, family, that you are, I like to whittle. I, I don't carry my knife at church because my wife said that's a bad idea. Although I will say that one guy, when he saw that I had a knife, uh, it was just like a pocket knife, he was like, oh, cool. We started talking shop, but I understand. But I like to whittle. And if you don't know what that is, you take a piece of wood and then you just cut on it. And some people are better at it than others. They can actually make it into something. Some people, it's just like a stick, right? I made a stick. It was a stick to begin with. Well, it's a smaller stick now. But I like to whittle. And I, and I, and I imagine that, that God, maybe he doesn't whittle. That sounds kind of less than the honor that he deserves. But he, he does do something in us to cut, to form, to shape and it's not as though when we get saved that he's like, well, I'm just going to cut a little bit off the top and I'm going to, sh-. and then it's like, well, that's good enough. And he's not, he's not Eddie. I, you know, after 10 minutes, I'm like, well, I got to go do something. That's good enough. And that's my stick. And that's why I'm not God because we'd all be half made. But God, he's, he's shaping us and he's forming us. And the means by which he does that is the gospel at work in our lives. We are, as he says, his workmanship. We don't stop being his workmanship. Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6 that, that he who began a good work, a good workmanship perhaps, will bring it to completion at the, at, at, at the coming of Christ. Right? He's, he's not done. Parents, he's not done. Right? You may feel like, oh, I'm done. He's not done. If you don't have faith in your kids, understand that God has faith through your kids. Spouses, he's not done. He's not done. Family, he is not done. My wife and I were talking about this one time, and, and there was a, there's a, a teacher that she listens to, and uh, the teacher said something along the lines when she was reflecting on her kids and saying, uh, the jury has not even begun to meet over this. Like, it's not that the, the, that the jury's hung or the, the discussion has not even started, right? That's, that's the faith that we can have because we are his workmanship. The, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing with them. You can be encouraged, family, that if you've received this grace of God in truth, if you've heard the gospel, which I hope that you have, if you've heard the good news and you've received it, then God is at work. God is at work. Are you discouraged? Are you, are you struggling with a specific sin? A specific area of, of I just, I know I should give this up, but I don't want to. And there's, there's a hopelessness that's creeping in. You don't, you don't have to muster up hope that you'll do a better job. You don't have to muster up, maybe if I could just try a little bit harder, I can beat this thing. Maybe if I, we just try a little bit harder, we can do a better job. No, you need to look to the God who is still at work. He says, 
um, I'm thankful because God is still at work. That the gospel is bearing fruit. He goes on and he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, talking about the, the grace of God and truth, right? The, God, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, talking about the gospel, since the day you heard and understood what? The gospel. No, he says the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Right? The gospel that you learned about in the past is bearing fruit today. And anyone who's been a gardener knows this, right? It's tough to do gardening with kids, and honestly, it's tough with me because I have a short attention span as well. But you, you, you know, you go to Home Depot and you see the pack. Let's, let's get some cucumbers. Let's do that. Let's get whatever. And you put it in the ground and you're like, is there a microwave? What do we do here? <laughs> But, but that's the gospel sometimes is, is, is you, you, you receive the gospel, you hear the good news, and then you live your life and you're like, I don't see any fruit. And, and oftentimes I encourage people not to look at last week or last month, but look at last year. Who were you last year? Who were you five years, from, five years ago? And that can give you hope for what God will do. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but maybe in five years. You know, some of you, you're struggling, you've been struggling for a while. Look back. And if you can't look back in your own life, look back further. And look back further and understand that the gospel seed produces fruit. That which they heard beforehand is bearing fruit now. Parents, this is, this is a word for you. The prayers that you've prayed... The, the words that you've said, the scriptures that you've read with your children the promises that you've, you've communicated to them, the moments of baptism that you saw them participate in. Baptism is, is an amazing thing, not because there's something intrinsically magical about that thing, except that God chooses to participate in that moment, to extend grace in that moment, and to give us a signpost that we can go back to and say, God is at work. The gospel is at work from the day they began and they learned it to today. What does this look like for us? What does it look like for, you know, I've continued to say the gospel's at work, the gospel's at work, God is at work. What does it look like for the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, to result in good works in your own life? It looks like this. It looks like reading Luke, Jesus on the cross, and there's, there's two criminals beside him. And, and people are around him, they're mocking him. They're, they're laughing at him. They're spitting on him. And in that moment, in verse 34 of chapter 23, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And you know what it says afterwards? And everyone repented and worshipped him. No, it doesn't say that. It says after that, and they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saves others, let him save himself. If, he, if he's the, the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then there was the, the inscription over him that says, he's the king of the Jews. So here Jesus is in his moment probably of greatest suffering and pain. 
both physical and emotional. This isn't just like it hurts physically, but I'm, I'm kind of blacking out a little bit. All his friends have deserted him and people are making fun of him. They're mocking him. They're, they've taken his clothes and they're, they're, they're rolling the dice to see who gets his clothes. And in that moment, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you know what they do in response? They make fun of him more. Some of you, you're waiting for someone to, to apologize before you forgive them. And, and allowing the gospel to bear fruit and grow is understanding that if Jesus can forgive people even in the midst of their, their hurtfulness and their unkindness, I can release, release this person and that offense to God. I'm not saying we, we allow people to hurt us and do bad things to us and, and we, we give in to things like abuse. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we, we remove our right to be the, the one who wreaks havoc or revenge. Jesus, on the cross, in that moment, he forgives. And he does that so that we can look at the gospel, the good news, and say to those who have hurt us, who have betrayed us, who have rejected us, I forgive them. God, I'm, I'm, I'm handing them over to you. I know that you will vindicate me. I know that you will judge all things at the end, and I'm trusting you to be the judge. I'm releasing them from my right to, to, to hold them accountable, relationally. This is what it looks like for the gospel to be at work in your life. What else does it look like? It looks like God loving us in Christ and calling us to love one another. I was at the really cool, there was a, um, a retreat for young adults um, throughout all of our campuses uh, yesterday, and I preached on John chapter 1, verses 13. John chapter 13, not chapter 1. Chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And, and Jesus has just, he's just washed the disciples' feet. Right? He's, he's shown them what it looks like to be a leader. A leader is a good servant, someone who's willing to do, uh, do what needs to be done in order to serve the people. And he says in verse 34, after he's done that, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How often do we, family, do we withhold our love our, our willingness to have relationship with one another until it's convenient or easy or comfortable. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to show you how to do this. And he, he washes their feet. And, and that's, that's a moment within and of itself. But, but imagine that, again, the crucifixion happens and Jesus rises from the dead. And at first they're like, yeah, we win. You know, Satan, you lose. Pilate, you know, the Jewish leaders, you guys were wrong. We were right. Although they, they were kind of wrong as well. But, but they're excited and they're, God, Jesus, you came back. And then they remember the words, love one another as I have loved you. Oh, man. How much did Jesus love his, his disciples? He died for them. Right? So we, we struggle, well, I'd love to come to small group, but it's, it's 20 minutes away and I, got, I have a schedule and I got to do these things. And Jesus is like, I died. NBD, no big deal. I died. 
You know, I, I know, I know that, that that person, they could really benefit from some financial help and, and I've got a little bit extra, but, but we got some bills to pay and I got kids to take through college and, and Jesus is like, I paid with my blood. And, and I don't say this to make you feel bad. I say this because this is what, when we see what Jesus has done for you. When you see that Jesus did this for you, God has designed it so that that would do something in your soul and you'd be, you'd be willing to say, you know what, this is hard for me, but God, I'm going to trust that if you want me to live out this life, if you want me to have these good works, that you're going to make it possible for you. And you, you begin to step out in faith. Now, now I'm not going to do that because there's nothing for me to step out in faith too, but imagine, you know, God is here ready to receive us. We step out in faith. It means Jesus laying down his life and calling us to deny ourselves. Right, in Luke 23. Sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus is teaching. Um, and he says to all of them, if you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever tries to keep his life and his right to his life and try to run and control it, he's going to lose his life. But whoever will give up his life, whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits his soul? Jesus sets this standard of, of taking up your cross denying yourself in order that you might follow him. You know, we, we want to say, you know, I'm in charge of my life. I get to decide. This is America. I get to vote people in and out of office. I get to choose whether I'm wearing a mask. I get to choose whether I'm vaccinated. I get to choose these things. These are my, I get to tell, I get to choose. It's my rights. And I'm not saying that these aren't your rights. But there's a, there's a disposition that we have that is wildly unchristian where we think that Jesus who submits himself completely to the father who, who has no will of his own except to obey the father and here he says if you want to follow me this isn't about being the most awesome here and now this is about dying to your own desires and, and just putting them on the table and saying, God, what do you want me to pick back up? And, and maybe he says, well, pick that back up. That was good. You, you picked that back up. But maybe he says, I'm glad you put that down. I want you to do this other thing instead. Allowing the gospel to bear fruit in your life is, is looking at Jesus and the example that he made, recognizing that he did it for you and that he gave you his Holy Spirit to enable you to do this so that you might say to God, Okay, I'm going to deny myself today. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient when it's uncomfortable. I'm going to be obedient when it's inconvenient. I'm going to be obedient when it, when it doesn't have any immediate benefit to me. Family, I know that you're doing this because you're here, right? And Sunday, you could be sleeping. If you're online, you're here and you could be not here. Thank you. I'm... I'm 
I'm so thankful that you're doing that. And I'm, I'm showing that that is proof that God is at work. And I want to invite you to receive and accept and, and, and embrace it even more. The gospel is not just a starting point. It's intended to bear fruit and increase in your life. And it will bear fruit and increase in your life. And, and at the same time, even though we know that God is at work, you know, if you step back, it, it's, it's worth noting that even though Paul thinks that God is at work, even though Paul is thanking God for what's happening in the, the life of the Colossians, he still writes it in the letter to them. Why is it that he writes a prayer to God in the letter to the Colossians? Because he wants their faith in God and the power of God to connect with, with their behavior. See, the other part of this family is that we do have to walk this out. But the, the, the needle that, that Paul is trying to thread very carefully is that when we do these things, ultimately it's because God is at work. We are the means, we are the way that God works. And, and when we do awesome things, we... We, we can't ultimately say it was because I was awesome. Ultimately, we, we say it's because the Holy Spirit is at work. And yet, at the same time, if we don't do these things, then, then we really aren't doing the thing. And the, the fruit isn't happening. So we get to walk this, this narrow path of, of walking in and actively obeying God. Actively forgiving. Actively loving. Actively saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. And at the same time, in, in that whole moment, as we are taking steps, we do it knowing, hey, God is doing this in me. God is doing this in me. Family, God is at work in your life. Even, even if you're here and you don't necessarily have a, a, a faith in Christ Jesus, God is at work bringing you here letting you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is at work. And he's inviting you to trust in him. And for the rest of you who are walking out your life, you're, you're, you've got some very specific challenges that you're facing. You've got some very specific issues that you're, you're navigating. You've got some very specific pain, maybe some specific besetting sins, thin, sins that kind of knock you down constantly. Family, God is at work and, and he is inviting you to go back to the gospel, to go back to see what Jesus has done and allow that to be motivation for you to grow and increase in your obedience to God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you are at work. God, I thank you that you are at work. I see so many faces where I, I know very specific stories of how you are at work, God. I, I pray that you would bring encouragement to the discouraged, Lord, to the hurt, Lord. I pray that you would bring uh, healing to those who are hurt here, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. And for those who are kind of looking at their lives and they know that, uh, I don't know if I see God at work. God, I pray that you would, you would, you would give them a picture of, of what just a little bit of faith will do and how you are at work. God, I thank you that our, 
our salvation, our, our walking this thing out ultimately isn't dependent upon us, that, that you finish what you start. That that's a promise that we can rely on. And at the same time, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would quicken our hearts, that you would strengthen our knees, that you would give us motivation today to do some very specific things in response to this word, that we would, we would love someone better, we would forgive more fully, that we would extend ourselves more radically, more sacrificially today. Help us to love you well in light of what you've done to love us well. Give us an understanding of your gospel and help us to see how we can live out our lives in response to you. Pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you, family.